up, everybody? Michael Nenemeyer here and Joe Geary, and we're your host of the Witwin Podcast, whatever it takes, whenever it's needed. So before we start, one quick thing. If you get value out of this, please like it, share it, subscribe, comment, do all those things. It helps us out to get more eyes and ears on this. So we would appreciate it if you did that. Today we're going to do some Q&A. We had some questions, and we like doing this. So if you have questions you want us to answer, the easiest way is to find us on Instagram, Mine's at Michael underscore Nettemeyer, and Joe's is at Joe Geary on Instagram. Do that. Shoot us a DM with questions, and we're going to answer them. So we're getting more questions now, which is cool. Um, we're going to continue to do that. So make sure you keep firing off the questions. So, Joe, let's dive in. We've got a handful of questions today. Let's, uh, let's get after it. Perfect. So our first question of the day is, what do you do when you lose passion for something? So when you lose passion for something, like you lose passion for work, yeah, basically like around your career, like say you you start a business or you have a job or you're in a sales career and then all of a sudden you just, you lose passion for it. Like you don't have that same spark when you first started. It's a good question. So, cause I think, I think at some point, I think what most people don't realize is I think no matter who it is or what role they're in or how successful they are, nobody's going to have passion in my opinion anyway, no one's going to have passion every single day to do something. It's not like every day, like people say, find a job that you're passionate about. It never feels like work, which, you know, I tend to agree with a little bit. If you, if you, if you like what you're doing, it's going to make it a little bit easier, but to think that you're going to wake up with just a, a burning desire and passion every single day probably isn't very realistic. So I think the first thing you have to figure out is, were you ever even passionate about it? And if you were, what was making you passionate about it was, were you, were you passionate about it because you liked, like, let's just say a sales role, right? Real estate. Use as an example, or any sales where you get in, it's 100% commission. So you made a decision to get into a 100% commission role, sacrificing any kind of stable income or steady income or guarantee, I should say, of a stable, right? Because you can have a very stable income in real estate or any sales role, but a guarantee, you're giving that up. So why were you doing that to begin with? Because I think that's what it comes down to is going back to why did I want to get in this to begin with? Was I passionate when I first started? And now, if I'm no longer passionate or I've lost that passion, I need to think about, well, why am I not passionate about it right now? Am I not passionate about it because I'm not good at it? Am I not good at it because I'm not practicing enough to be good at it? Right. So it's, I think there's a lot of factors like that that we have to think about when, one, acknowledging that you're not going to be passionate probably every single day, especially in sales, because sales can be very emotional. It can be very up and down. One day you can be on a high with making lots of sales. The next day, four deals can fall apart. It happens. So I think we need to be looking at that as why am I not passionate about it now? And typically what I find in my experience is that because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's why I've lost passion. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it goes back to what you talked about is what is the why or what is the mission? Because I think that's what you can really get a passion for on whatever your mission is. You know, whether it's, hey, you're in a sales role right now, but one day you want to you know, be the head of the sales team or one day you want to be the CEO or one day you want to help expand the company or whatever your mission is. I think that's kind of what you have to focus on and have your passion for because like you said, most days you're not going to be passionate or you're not going to feel like doing it because that's just human nature. Like there's always that resistance where 75, 80% of the days, like you're just not going to want to do anything, but Mm -hmm. you have to anyway. Yeah. It'd be great not to have to do anything. Right. Yeah. You know, and so I wouldn't like it. They bored, but, uh, (laughs) but think about it. People like because you hear people talk too about burnout. So burnout could also be considered a lack of passion or a loss of passion, right? But people don't burn out because of what they're doing. They're not burning out because they're working super hard. They're not burned out because of what they're doing. 
people burn out because they lose sight of why they're doing it. To your point, what is your why? You hear about it, like there's a book by, was it Simon Sinek, Start With Why, um, which is a good book, I recommend it. But figuring out, why did you even start? So what was the reason to want to do this? Well, it was because I didn't like my job. I didn't like my boss. I didn't like the fact that I was capped on earning potential. I didn't like that there was no forward momentum or forward progress in the current company I was with. Those are the reasons I decided to get into a sales role without the guarantee of a stable income. So going back to that and realizing why did I start to begin with, I think that's super important. And that's what people lose sight of. And they lose sight of the fact that now all of a sudden it's like, well, it's not happening as fast as I thought. Well, guess what? What if it took you 10 years to hit your income goal? Like to hit a, like, let's just say your goal is to be, you want to be a millionaire, right? Well, what if it took 10 years to be a millionaire, become a millionaire? Is that better to keep doing every single day to just strive to become a millionaire and knowing that potentially you'll get there? And even if it took 10 years, 10 years is going to pass by regardless. Would you rather be a millionaire in 10 years or not? Right? So I think that's the thing too, is that people lose sight of like, they think it should happen immediately, which we all do. Like everyone who doesn't want overnight success, the realization though is it's not realistic regardless of what you see on social media because all the instant millionaires, right? So I think those are very important things from when it comes to a passion standpoint is figuring out why aren't you passionate right now and be thinking about that. Usually in my experience, what it comes down to is because the person's not putting the effort in that's required to go succeed in the role. And that's why they lose passion because they're not good enough at it. And the reason they're not good enough at it is because they don't practice. So think about that. If you're in a sales role, how often do you practice your scripts? How often are you going above and beyond to work harder to follow up on leads, to hit your metrics consistently every single week. And if you're slacking constantly every single week, well, of course you're going to lose passion because when you're sitting at home by yourself, all that doubt starts to creep in your head. When you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, all of that doubt and fear starts to creep in. And that's where a loss of passion comes from, in my opinion. Well, I think I think if you lose passion, what should you do to kind of answer the question? Keep doing yeah. what you should do. Because like, I think people think like every single day when they wake up in the morning, they're going to say, Oh, I'm so passionate about real estate, or I'm mm-hmm. so passionate about selling cars, or I'm so passionate about selling insurance. It's like, no, it's not reality whatsoever. Like, yes, you probably enjoy doing it, or I hope you enjoy doing it, but at the end of the day, many, several days, like you said, you're not going to be passionate or even feel like doing it. So it's just all about having that plan. What is your plan to execute and sticking to that plan every single day, every single week, and every single month, and every single year? Yeah. And you just stick that plan no matter how you feel. Because quite honestly, I'm not passionate many days about you know what I do, but it's more so, hey, I don't feel like doing it, and I'm just going to do it anyway because I know I'm passionate about the mission or about my why, and in order to get there, I have to do the things that I don't want to do. So you're telling me you're not passionate about um, negotiating sore lateral cracks? Unfortunately, no. Yeah. <laughs> Having a liner put in a serial, watching sore lateral videos, you're not passionate about it? Uh, <laughs> right? So that, it ties back to your point, though, of the big why. Right? And that's what I find too. If you're losing passion for it, I need to figure out, go back to why did I start? Why did I begin this anyway? And then figure out from there, how do I go take more action? Because that's where people start to retreat. They start losing passion. Oh, what was me? They start hanging around other people who also justify their lack of action and ability as well. So now they're, now they're surrounding themselves with people that are making it okay. Well, yeah, it is hard. Sales is hard. You know, it's hard to get a business going. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I failed at it. So you should fail too. Don't hang around people like that. Hang around people that are doing more than you. And that's what we want. When people say your net worth is your your network or your network is your net worth, it's about hanging out with people that are doing more, that want to achieve more, that are going out and actually doing it, not just talking about it. So when you find yourself losing passion, 
evaluate why. Why did I start this to begin with? When I was passionate, what was I doing? What were the things, habits, disciplines, everything I was doing when I was passionate about it? And how do I get back to that if it's still important to you? Because for some people, maybe it's just like, hey, I don't like this at all. This is terrible. This is not what I thought it was. And if that's the reason and you just feel miserable every single day, well, then go find something else. Because sales is not for everybody. And that's that's just a, a blatant fact. Like sales is not for everybody. It's it's It takes a different type of person, a different type of tenacity, and a different type of grit to succeed in a 100% commission-based job. So what I well, don't agree with those, just quitting if you haven't even given it a shot. Like you just kind of dabbled in it for a few weeks and you're like, oh, this isn't for me. But if you've given it everything you've got for a year, two years, three years, and it's just not working, well, maybe you should go look for something else. But if your goal is to succeed at it, then figure out a way to succeed. Go do more and make it happen. And I, I always think it's funny, too, when you get those people at work like a couple hours a day or an hour a day. Yeah for a month and they say you know what this just isn't for me it's like how do you know if it's really for you or not until you really give it your all like you said because you're really trying to work towards your potential and one hour a day is probably nowhere close to your potential you can probably work a lot more put in a lot more put in a lot more effort and get a lot more results and i guarantee once a lot of people started getting the results consistently over time they might start to change your mind on hey this might be it for me because i'm actually making money i'm building a career i'm you know, having a good time doing it, and I see the potential and where it could go. Yeah, well, it, you're absolutely right. So I think if you're if you're this person right now that we're talking about, and we're not saying this is a specific person, but we're saying this this was a question. But let's say you're in this boat right now that you've lost passion. Right. First, I want you to think about why, which we've talked about. But then, to your point, Joe, are you giving it everything you can? And if you're gonna if you're gonna settle now for a job, maybe that you're still not going to be happy with. And, and you're going to be forced to work 40 hours a week, let's say. Why not just put 40 hours a week into this if you're not currently doing that? Because to your point, a lot of people work a couple hours a day and they're like, oh, I'm not hitting the income I want. Well, it's because you're working 10 hours a week. So, you know, if your goal is $100,000 and you want to work 10 hours a week and you're trying to get a sales or real estate business off the ground, chances are it's not going to happen. So why not say, I'm going to go set office hours. And this is what I did early on in my career. I know, Joe, this is what you do. But you work office hours. You say, basically, I'm going to get to the office by 8. I'm going to work till 5 every single day. I'm going to show up every single day. I'm going to treat it like a real job. And I guarantee you, if you do that, you're going to start seeing real results. But you're not going to see real results working two hours a day. You're not going to see real results working two hours a day, three days a week. Well, the awesome thing about sales is you can get to a point where, you know, five years down the road or 10 Ten, years down yeah. the road, you can work two hours a week and have an amazing income. It's absolutely. just in the beginning to build your business, yeah. you're going to have to work the hardest. It, absolutely. Once you have hundreds of past clients and you've got a database full of thousands of people over 5, 10, 15, 20 years, absolutely, your dollar per hour goes through the roof because you don't have to work near as hard in year 20 as you did in year 1. The challenge is that most people face is they will never get to year 20. They exactly. won't, they won't even get, get to year, year 2. two. Yeah. 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 And it's a proven fact. It's like 87% of realtors, I think, quit in the first five years. The bulk of them are in the first year. Because it's not, it's not easy. It's not an easy, being in sales is not easy. So think about why you started. Think about how can I sharpen my skill set every day. Go back to why was I passionate when I first wanted to get into this. And if it was like I didn't want to work a, uh, you know, a job where I had to clock in and clock out and sit at my desk until 5 o'clock until I clocked out, well, then go make this happen. Right? Like Go make it work. Do whatever you can to start succeeding at the highest level possible. Because I promise you, if you treat this like a real profession and a real job, you're going to make real money. Awesome. So that brings us to our next question. So how do you have tough conversations with one of your customers or one of your clients about 
maybe an adjustment with your service or a problem with the product? Yeah, so tough conversations, right? So I think a lot, for, in my experience, a lot of this is just kind of setting expectations. So if you set expectations, like let's use an example of a price adjustment. So you listed a house, it hasn't sold, right? I would be going back to, did I set the stage for the client to make a price adjustment ahead of time? So I wasn't just calling them after a couple of weeks on the market and saying, oh, I dropped the price. Did I set the expectation that, look, if we're, you know, our marketing works, what we're testing is price. If we're on the market for 10 to 14 days with no offers and we're getting a lot of activity, your pricing is 4 to 6% off. If we're getting low showings, your uh, it could be 6 to 10%. If you're not getting any showings or 10% or greater, we're going to have to have this conversation and potentially make an adjustment if your home isn't sold. So I would be, and that's just an example, but I would be looking at, am I setting expectations? And am I over-delivering on what I said? Because I find, too, that tough conversations tend to come when we try to avoid challenging issues. We want to put it aside. There's an issue that needs to be resolved today. And today's Friday when we're recording this. You know what? I'm just going to wait till Monday to call them because I don't want to, you know, for, you're scared to make the call. So I would, for me, it's all about taking the problem head on. Also, practicing the conversation. I think this is what a lot of people don't do. If you have to have a tough conversation with a customer or client, why not role play it? We're really big here on practicing scripts and role play, but grab your team leader, grab your manager, grab a coworker, grab whoever, grab a spouse or a friend and role play that conversation to come up with different scenarios of how it can go. It's practice, right? And the more you do this, the easier these tough conversations are going to get because you're gonna become skilled and you're gonna to begin to build a confidence that you didn't have if you're just kind of haphazardly like, oh my God, what am I gonna say? I'm so worried, I'm so concerned. So for me, it would be over-delivering, it would be setting expectations and standards and of what, what the process is looking like and what we're gonna to need to do to help them achieve their goal, and then practice. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree, and the big thing what you said is making sure you deal with it immediately. I think a lot of people avoid having tough conversations with their client or their customer or they try to push them off you know mm -hmm. maybe it's a friday and you want to wait till monday or you know you're supposed to make that call this week and then you just push it back hey you know what i'll make it next month or i'll make it in yeah. a couple weeks yeah. and i think what happens is that ends that itself ends up causing a really big problem because then that client's getting frustrated they're getting upset they're getting mad and then when you finally muster the courage to call them they're going to be pissed off at you. Yeah. And then the problem's going to be as big as you thought it was going to be. Versus if you just nail it right now, when you think about it or when you need to do it, do it immediately. And it's really not going to be that big of a deal. And if you get ahead of it right now, you can probably fix that problem and have a clear conversation with the upset or dissatisfied customer or client. You're absolutely right. And by avoiding the situation, that's when they become difficult because now they're upset. That's when the conversation gets tough. Typically, we we make the conversation tougher in our minds than it really is. And to your point, like the worst thing you can do is don't call your client back. They call you on Friday and you avoid them because you know it's going to be a conversation. Their house hasn't sold. They've had 10 showings. It hasn't sold. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Or it hasn't had any showings. You don't know what to do because you feel like it's all on you and you avoid them until Monday. Well, guess what? That conversation is going to be horrible on Monday because now they're upset. Taking three days, two days to get back to them. So to your point, address it right away. And here's the other thing. Make your system and process so they never have to call you. Like if you stay up to date and keep them up to date every step of the way and you're over communicating with them, they're never going to have to call you because they're always going to know what, hey, what's the next step? If you go out, let's just say on real estate, if you take a listing 
set the next expectations. Hey, my office administrator is going to be calling you. She's going to be walking you through the process to get this signed or this, this, this photography signed. Or future pace those things and then make sure they're getting done. But if you just over communicate, the tough conversations are going to get a lot easier because they're not going to be, you're not going to be caught off guard with an upset client because you're over communicating with them. So I think that's very important that to your point, don't let it drag on. If you need to make the call, make the call, handle it. And guess what? If it's Friday and you have to make a tough call right now, just do it. Your weekend's going to be way better because you're not going to be thinking about it the whole weekend. Like, oh, I'm going to the lake this weekend or something or a big party. I just don't want to make this call. I'll do it on Monday. Well, guess what? You're going to be thinking about it all weekend. So just handle it, deal with it, and your weekend will be a lot better. Yeah, and I think a big part, too, of having a tough conversation sometimes can be taking ownership for the problem. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, when they have those tough conversations, they'll try to pass the blame to somebody else sure. and say, "Hey, you know what? It's it's your fault, or it's you know my boss's fault, or it's my coworker's fault, or it's his vendor's fault." Instead of saying, "Hey, you know what? This is my fault. I should have dealt with this earlier. I'm going to take care of it now." Just like you said, communicate with them. I'm going to fix it. I'll call you back tomorrow. Or I'll call you back in an hour and let you know once it's fixed. Yeah. So it's just all about the communication ownership. and also taking that ownership because. Yeah. People, it's it's very rare to hear nowadays when people take ownership for something. Mm-hmm. Any company you go to, or most companies you go to, if there's a mistake or there's a problem, chances are they're going to pass the blame to somebody else. Yeah. Nobody likes that. It's not going to fix the problem. It's not going to make the customer happy. It's just going to make them more angry, more upset at you, versus if you would have actually just said, hey, you know what, this is my fault. I messed up. Let me fix the problem, or let me do as much as I can to fix the problem. The customer is not going to be mad at you anymore. They actually might be happy and satisfied when you do fix it. Yeah, because you owned it, right? Exactly. And that's where there's there's a there's an extreme lack of ownership in our society today, to your point, starting from our government leadership all the way down to corporate leadership to everything. Everyone, not very many people want to own the result or own the issue. And so think about it. Like Jocko, Jocko talks about it in Extreme Ownership in his book. That's a really good book on leadership that you should read. I recommend it. But think of it this way. Everything's your fault. So let's just say I did everything right. Let's go back to a, a listing scenario. Went out, met with the seller, feature paste, here's the next steps. Office administrator screws something up, right? Like royally messes something up. I don't know what an example would be. What would an example? I don't know. You know, whatever, just, right? you say they had hardwood floors and they put they had laminate floors. Exactly. Okay. So into the seller, it's a huge issue because they talked about it and they were super proud of their hardwood floors. They talked about it a hundred times. It should be in the description. It's not, right? It says laminate floors. Now they're upset. Well, I might have done everything right, and I even told the office admin that, the listing manager or whatnot, that it's hardwood floors, and they put in laminate. Well, at the end of the day, it's still my fault, and here's why. Because I didn't do a good enough job of making 100% certain that they put hardwood floors in the listing description. Could I have checked it before I went live? Could I have done 100 things to make sure it was live before the seller caught it? Absolutely. At the end of the day, it's my fault. Could I have hired a better office administrator? And this is not talking about anybody that we work with or anything like that. But my point is, you need to take ownership and think about how could this problem have been resolved without blaming the other person? Oh, yeah, she she messed up or he messed up. No, I messed up. It's on me. It's my responsibility. I apologize that it said laminate floors and I'm going to make it right. Right? Not saying, oh, I told them and they didn't do it. or Because that's what a lot of people do. They want to blame somebody else. Well, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility. It was up to you. Maybe you should have trained that person better. Maybe you should have had a better handoff. There's a hundred different things that maybe you could have done to make sure it was done correctly. Own it. Don't pass the buck and try to blame other people. Just own it and make it correct. 
I messed up. And that's all it needs to be. Listen, I apologize. I messed up. I'm going to make it right. And they and that customer or client, they chose to work with you. They didn't choose to work with your admin. Exactly. They didn't choose to work with your vendor. They chose to work with you. So everything that's coming from you, they expect it to be from you. 100%. Absolutely. Awesome. So the next question we have is, what's the best way to build culture? So I think building cult culture is very, 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 very important. So I think people will come work for an organization and they'll put culture over money, meaning they'll put culture over pay. If they have an organization and they love it there and the culture is great and it's a culture of, of just an abundant culture and like-minded people, at the end of the day, they would a lot of people would choose to stay there over a pay raise because they're in an environment that they show up to every single day and they enjoy it. So how do you, what's the best way to build culture? I think it starts with figuring out what do you want your culture to look like? So if you're, you're a single person right now ready to open a company or thinking about starting your own organization, what do you want your company to look like? What do you want your culture to look like? Who do you want to surround yourself with? What are your core values? So I think this is a big one that people don't do early on is how, I need to establish core values and not just have words on paper. And this is something we've struggled with, to be totally honest. We've kind of gone back and forth and kind of gone against our core values over the last couple of years. And it's something we're, we're, we're working to get back to. But it's who do I want to surround myself with and who are the people I want in my organization? I want like-minded people. I want, like for us, it's we want people that refuse to be average. We want people that are professional. We want people that know how to have fun. Right? We want people that want to go above and beyond to provide the best customer service possible. And those are just a few of our values. But I want to figure out what's important to me and what do I want to build my company on. And then I want to start preaching those core values every single day and surrounding myself with like-minded people that buy into it. So now here's the thing. If one of my core values is refuse to be average and I've got somebody that never wants to show up, well, are they refusing to be average or are they the status quo? They're being average. Yeah. The average real estate agent, I think, sells three houses. So if I have a real estate company and the average realtor is selling less than three homes or they're selling three homes, are they are they refusing to be average or are they okay with being average? So these are things that you have to live by your core values. So one, you have to know what your core values are. And two, you have to preach your core values like crazy and start getting people to buy into them and start seeing why those core values are important. Now, if, you, if core values are just something that's written on a wall and they're not lived by and you don't live by your standards and what's important to you, then guess what? You're just going to have some words on a wall. And so I think building culture starts with that, with knowing what do I stand for, what do I want my company to stand for, and who do I want to surround myself with every single day? Because think about it. You work with people. When you work with people, you tend to see people sometimes more than your family. Like if you're in an office 40 hours a week, you're surrounding yourself with this group of people for the majority of your life, right? And so why not have the most like-minded people possible? So that would be the first way I would look to build culture. And I think it's important, too, to, to hold to your standards because when you do have those core values and when you see somebody, you know, that they're being average or they're not providing great customer service, that you address the issue immediately and then fix the problem. Whether it's a conversation, you say, hey, you know, hey, buddy, you're having a hard time. Not buddy, but, you know, yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. just for example, Call you know, buddy. their name's Buddy. So, yeah, hey, is. buddy, <laughs> you're having a, you're, you're not providing the greatest service. I saw you cut some corners there. One of our core values is to provide five-star customer service. How can we fix this problem? Have the conversation. You address it. You see if they fix the problem. If it happens again, then that's you escalate the conversation. It's like, hey, one of our core values is five-star customer service. This is the second time I've seen you cut corners, and we already had the conversation. Do you? Is, this place might not be the best for you. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's really just holding everybody in your organization to your core values and not letting one person slip because the moment you let one person slip multiple times, repeat over repeat, then other people are going to open their eyes to that and say, hey, this person over here just violated the core values or just did this yeah. multiple times. I think it's okay if I do that too. I think it would be easier if I can cut some corners. Yeah, absolutely. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, 90 or 80% of your organization is not living by the core values. And then all of a sudden, your culture is just gone. It's a mess. Absolutely. Yeah, if you let buddy cut corners constantly, well, then the next person is going to say, eh, it's okay. So I can do it too. And now, listen to your point, 90% of your people are cutting corners. Well, now your core, core value and what you stood for at one point and maybe the service that you delivered when you were in that role now becomes words on a wall because it wasn't important enough for you to address it immediately when it started becoming an issue. So I like that and like your example there, Joe, when you have a problem, address it immediately. Say, listen, one of our core values is this. Do you feel your behavior is living up to our core value by cutting this corner? Well, no, I don't. Perfect. How can we fix it? How can we help you fix it? Well, I guess I could do this, 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 this. Fantastic. Let's do that and reevaluate. Well, then they do it again. Then what? Then it's, exactly. listen, we had this conversation. Is this just not important to you? Maybe this is not the place for you. So I think as a leader too, I mean, you're signing up. When you go into lead, now you're shifting. Let's say this is a different conversation in a sense, but you're shifting from being a, say, a salesperson into being a business owner or into a management leadership role. So now all of a sudden it's different conversations, but when you sign up to be a leader within an organization, even if it's not your own organization, you're signing up to lead and manage and train people in your organization or in an organization, you're signing up to have tough conversations. And so it goes back to the same thing with like when you don't have a tough conversation with a client, a lot of managers and people in leadership roles don't want to have tough conversations with their people. It's uncomfortable. It's well, you know what, this person's, they've helped over the last couple of years and now they're really falling off and not abiding by any of our core values. Uh, what do we do? They're tough conversations. I get it. You know, I'm friends with them. You know, we're friends. We're, you know, I don't want to ruin the friendship. The business always has to come first, in my opinion. Like we're here and we all know each other because of a business. The business has to come first. And if I can't uphold my standards of a business, guess what? I'm not going to have a business for very long. So then we can all be friends and all be unemployed. Or we can choose to get back and reset and get back on the same page with living and abiding by the core values that we have set in place. And let's go make a bunch of money, have a bunch of success. Now we can be friends and be really, really happy because we're doing things together. And I think another really important aspect of building that culture is any leadership position in the organization has to basically, when they sign up for that leadership position, has to sign a contract with themselves that they're always going to live by each of those core values. Because people in the organization are looking up to them, and if they see, hey, this is what the culture is, or this is what the core values are, but my leader is never following any of them, once again, yeah. why should I follow them? Right. So I think that's one of the most important keys, because yes, you can you know, tell people core values, core values all day, but if the leadership isn't following them, then nobody's going to listen to them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's do what I say, not as I do. It doesn't work. So it's lead from the front. It's live by the values that are instilled within the, the organization. And don't just tell people to do it. And then you, you do the opposite. No one's ever going to follow somebody like that. So I think that's super important, too, that with, within a leadership role, you've got to live by it, too. You can't just bark orders at other people and never do any of it. No one's going to respect that person. No one's going to follow that person. Right? And they're not going to be motivated by either. Right. And most of those people are position leaders. Like you go back to Maxwell's book about, uh, what was it, the five levels of leadership? 
talks about position leader. They get a title. They think they're entitled now because of their title to have people respect them. People don't respect people because of titles. It's the same in the military. People don't respect you just because, of, and, and a lot of those uh, ex-SEALs and leadership military people talk about this, that people don't just respect you because you're a colonel or a lieutenant or a major or a general. They're going to respect courage. They're going to respect leadership. And they're going to respect somebody that's doing what they say they're going to do. So I think that's very important. But going back to culture, right, best way to build it, start with your core values. I think most people don't see the benefit or they don't see the importance of having core values early on. I think it's something maybe that they can throw in later down the road. But if you can establish your core values early on and build your corporation and your company around it and build your people up around those core values, your company is going to take off. Awesome. So fourth and final question, how do you stay motivated during tough times? That's a good one. So because here's the thing, motivation only lasts so long. So it's easy to go to a seminar, get pumped up, come out of it like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. I'm going to light the world on fire. So how do you stay tough when reality hits you in the face? And it's like we talk about in that 12-week year, right, the uninformed optimism. So when you start your goal setting for the year and you have the uninformed optimism that you're excited, you're, you're ready to go, and then there's like the informed pessimism, right, where it's like reality starts to set in. And it's like, oh, boy, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, the valley of despair. So how do I stay motivated when things, when reality sets in and I realize that this is going to be tough? Well, I think if you can't stay motivated, stay consistent. So I think that's a big one. If I'm not feeling motivated today, I need to remain consistent. So what are my consistent habits that are allowing me to have success? Or what are the consistent habits that I've agreed or made a commitment to myself that will help me have success? So if it's, let's just use an example. If it's, I need to make lead generation for two hours a day. If I'm not motivated to lead generate today, I need to at least hold myself accountable to stay consistent with lead generate. I don't want to do it, but I need to do it because I know if I do it, it's going to lead to results over time. So for me, I think it's about discipline and I think it's about staying consistent because no one's going to be motivated every single day. No one's going to want to wake up at 5.30 this morning or whatever time you get up and want to jump out of bed and say, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. It ties back into when you lose passion, right? So no one's going to naturally be motivated 365 days a year, 24-7. But what will happen is if you can stay consistent even on the days when you're not motivated, it's like going to the gym. When you don't want to go to the gym, but you end up going and you get a workout in, even though it might not be the best workout ever, you at least got a workout in, you still feel better. feels really good. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it's the same way with this. Even though you didn't want to go to the office today and it would have been easy to sleep in and stay in bed and watch TV all day and play video games, if you get your butt out of bed, take a shower, get dressed and show up, I promise you, you're going to be happy that you did. And you're going to start seeing benefits and rewards from it. Your income is going to go up. Your consistency is going to go up. Your courage is going to go up. Your, your belief in yourself that you can make this a career and really be possible is going to go up because you're staying consistent. The more consistent you can stay, the more success you're going to have. Cool. I think that answered very well. All right. Is that all we got? Yeah, that's all we got. All right. So awesome, guys. Thanks for listening today. Tune in next week. And if you have questions, hit us up on Instagram. Again, like, subscribe, share. We appreciate you guys listening. See you next See you time. Next time.